You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Good morning, thanks for listening. It's Thursday, November the 11th. It's a beautiful, bright, sunny morning here in TW11 on the eve of Cheltenham's Paddy Power meeting, much more of which a little later in the show we'll be reflecting on last night's Cartier Awards, where St Mark's Basilica was, as we predicted yesterday, named Horse of the Year, and David Ellsworth took home the coveted Daily Telegraph Award of Merit. But with precision timing that can only be described as extraordinarily coincidental after the news we brought you yesterday about the report into anti-doping methods in Irish racing, there was a raid led by the Department of Agriculture, Food and the Marine, which subsequently involved the Irish Horse Racing Regulatory Board on a premises in Ireland, which led to substances that are banned for use in racehorses being seized and two trainers were caught up in this raid. Cornelius Leiser is with me this morning. Cornelius, what do we know here? This feels, I think, like um, quite a significant moment in the story. So the story that's been rumbling on what for over a year now since Jim Bulger spoke of performance-enhancing drugs being the number one problem for racing in Ireland, and later predicting a moment akin to the one in in cycling when the disgraced champion Lance Armstrong was revealed as a drugs cheat. It was a, a raid uh, on premises, I think stables at uh, Monastrevin, uh, west of Kildare, not that far from uh, the Curra, uh, on the old road from Curra to Cork, took place on Tuesday. Uh, it emerged yesterday, and uh, what had been described as banned animal remedies were discovered. We don't know that much detail, to be honest, but it's been confirmed that uh, government officials from the Department of Agriculture, Food and the Marine in Ireland, uh, Gardaí, Irish Police and officials from the Irish Horse Racing Regulatory Board, including the head of anti-doping, Lynn Hillier, were all present at one point or another. Uh, it's understood, and this, this is clearly important, that a number of unidentified racehorses in training and their trainers or and a couple of trainers were at the premises. Uh, Irish media is reporting that one person, a British resident, was interviewed. Um, and... Um, the regulatory board has confirmed that this happened and um, in its statement i think this is quite uh, a significant uh, uh, detail in in a statement which has come from the ihrb confirming um, the the government officials who were there etc the department led operation it says involved searches and seizure of products as part of an ongoing investigation into equine doping as this is an ongoing investigation it would be uh, not be appropriate to make any further comment i think the the um, interesting thing there is the use of the expression as part of an ongoing investigation into equine doping i don't, I don't think it's been confirmed ever i don't think it's been said ever that there is actually an ongoing uh, inquiry into or investigation into all of this but that uh, seems to have been uh, confirmed. It came on the same day, uh, this raid, as the Eroctus report, the government report, following Jim Bulger's claims was published. You and uh, Dave Yates were talking about it on the pod yesterday. Uh, so there was little chance of this taking place in, in any way quietly. 
Uh, and um, you will recall um, that um, the Eruptus report basically said testing in Ireland was of the highest possible international standards, but made 11 recommendations, including that all favourites and those who finish in the first five in any race be mandatorily tested using hair samples. And it urged the agriculture minister uh, to implement those recommendations as soon as possible. Well, a few points to notice here, Cornelius. First of all, we don't know what the substance or substances are. Um, Correct. So that, that is is yet to, to be revealed. Secondly, the Department of Agriculture, Food and the Marine seem very much to be leading this inquiry. I mean, the, the question I have is why weren't the Irish Horse Racing Regulatory Board there in the first instance? Why did they have to be called in part way through the the raid? Should they not have been a collaborative partner in this if this is an equine doping inquiry or an inquiry into doping in racehorses? Well, those are details and I simply don't know the, the answer. We don't know the answer as to, to you know, for, for all we know, the, the, um, the, the people from the racing authorities might have just been delayed or something. So, um, uh, but, but I think what is striking is you know it's a different setup in in Ireland to elsewhere that the, that uh, racing and government are, are very closely uh, related uh, in quite differently to say in in the United Kingdom um, and uh, you know the fact is the government uh, realizes that racing is a massive part of the whole economy these are really important times the confidence of everybody in the racing industry is in Ireland is really important and, and the government is directly involved in that. And we have had, you know, it, 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 in the UK, it's, uh, it's hard to imagine a report which would make the sort of recommendations that the Eruptus report has made this week uh, being, being um, seen in, in the UK. But in, in Ireland, because the, the connection in racing and the government is so much closer, uh, that these recommendations have been made and uh, it's been suggested that the Minister of Agriculture gets on with it. So my point is that, that it's a different relationship and a different position for uh, government in, uh, and government officials in Ireland compared to elsewhere. So perhaps that's why uh, that, uh, that, that, that they get such a prominent uh, position in the whole story. But, you know, the police from <clears throat> that part of the world uh, involved as well from the drug, from sort of drug specialists, uh, police as well. So this was a pretty big operation um, in the heart of, of Irish racing. Yeah, I mean, I appreciate it, it's speculation as to why the IHRB weren't on the scene straight away. Uh, but it is somewhat unusual, I think, for the for the guards to be there with the department officials, suggesting that there is a degree of seriousness to this case. And also that the department is leading uh, on this. And the, I don't think you're going to get too much in the way of uh, comment from the IHRB beyond what the the department sanctions. So we'll just have to keep a very close eye on on this inquiry and see how it progresses. The other point, which was somewhat unclear, is that the report in a couple of today's papers that uh, hair and blood samples had been ordered of the horses that were in the care of the two trainers that, unwittingly or otherwise, found themselves on the premises during the course of, of this raid. And it wasn't entirely clear as to whether that was just confined to the horses that they had with this unlicensed individual or whether that stretched to the horses that they had in their care at their own premises. It, it's rather difficult to, to, to tell. And whilst Cornelius, we can accept in part that this was a, a bit of coincidental timing, that the report should have come out yesterday and we should be reading news of this just later in the afternoon, 
You can clearly read this in one of two ways. You can either say, oh, well, look at that. The report says that you know, it's watertight, the, the anti-doping system in Ireland, and straight away they've gone and found something nefarious. On the other hand, you could say, well, look, there's the IHRB down there with the department, and they're doing something uh, on the basis of, of intelligence. Uh, I, I think that the, the authority, the, the racing authorities, have been accused of not being perhaps as proactive as they might otherwise have been. Now, uh, it, it sounds as though for whatever reason they they weren't in at the right at the forefront of the in the vanguard of the raid but it does show uh, how s- seriously it would appear to demonstrate to the world how seriously everything is being taken on this clearly uh, very important matter well more to follow on that story no doubt it was the Cartier Awards last night and Mark's Basilica won horse of the year champion Steyer went to Trushan amongst whose owners is Andrew Gemmell who's had such great success over jumps with Paisley Park I caught up with him earlier to ask him how he enjoyed the evening I was really enjoyable it was a bit of a surprise but well I don't know if it's a surprise it was really nice to, to recognise what a great season Trushan's had and in terms of the, the occasion as a whole, you know, we're used to seeing the, the sort of major flat racing ownership concerns, walking away with most of the, most of the trophies. Um, how significant do you think it was for a, you know, a syndicate of owners mainly involved in, in, in jump racing to pick up one of these? I think it was really, really nice. And I think it will be the, well, syndicate, syndication is such an important thing these days. And more and more people are getting involved. And it, it was great. And I think the crossover between jumps and flat is becoming more obvious. And I think more of us have been involved with jump racing before. And it's just really enjoyable to be, to be there. And the Cartier is really, really prestigious. How did you get involved with Trushan in the first place? Well, um, the trainer actually uh, sold his share to, to me, which was really kind. And um, uh, the other three were, we, you know, we were just looking for a horse to go to go chasing. And finally, here, here he comes and he wins at a three year old and onwards and upwards from there on. There was a lovely line from your co owner yesterday about the instruction you might have given Alan King when, uh, when, when you bought the horse. I mean, he, he was looking for a chaser for us, wasn't he? Yes, but not to be. And he he said uh, you buy you buy a, if you if you send a horse to a dual purpose trainer like Alan King you buy a horse to win the Gold Cup that could easily be misinterpreted. Well, indeed, it was this time, wasn't it? And this time will be uh, next year. Hopefully, we will win the Gold Cup too. Um, have you have you had as much pleasure from from Trushan as you have from some of your jumpers? Oh, I think so. I mean, the whole the whole year round, the jump. I think the jumps is it's a different atmosphere. It's it's, it's great to be involved. The racing is just glorious. Whatever form you're in, isn't it? And I think we've just enjoyed it so much. And just looking at, at some of your successes this year, you had a success at the at the York Ebor Festival with with Tim Easterby. We know um, dear old Paisley was back the other day in the in the West Yorkshire Hurdle at Weatherby and and, and finished a, a creditable third. Uh, where's he going to appear next? Uh, he'll definitely go to Newbury, all being well May 26th, and, uh, and then hopefully go for a long walk in the, the same route as per normal, any for Cheltenham, I hope. And, and uh, what was the what was the verdict on his run at Weatherby? Oh, I think we were happy enough. I mean, it was, it was a bit of a flat, longer than usual flat spot, but he's going to go in cheek pieces at, at Newbury, and, and just hopefully you know, he'll be there and thereabouts again. Owner Andrew Gemmell there with news on Paisley Park, his delight at Trushan's Cartier Award. That wasn't a massive surprise, nor was the success of St Mark's Basilica as Horse of the Year, Cornelius. Uh, it, it, it wasn't a big surprise, was it, uh, St Mark's Basilica? First thing, 31st Cartiers, I think, which uh, really does demonstrate what a f- fabulous uh, sponsor they have been for 
for, for racing Cartier. So Mark's Basilica was at the sixth win, I think, for, for a Coolmore horse. Uh, group one successes in, in Britain, France, uh, and at home in Ireland. Unbeaten year in 2021. French Guineas, Pre du Jockey Club, Eclipse, Irish Champion States on top of uh, the Dewhurst win as a uh, two-year-old. So I, do, I, I don't think, if we'd, been, if we'd been opening the betting on who's going to be horse of the year, uh, clearly St. Mark's Basilica would have been favourite. Uh, awards two for Palace Pier, standing as we now know for 55,000 at uh, Dallam Hall for Snowfall, for Starman, Native Trail and Inspiral as two-year-olds. David Ellsworth receiving uh, particular recognition for a lifetime in, in racing, uh, were, were, was the room on their feet? Was that a, as popular a, a victory as I imagine it might be? Very popular. And, and in the tribute uh, piece, I'd have to give a, a mention to, to Rafe Beckett, who um, knows and worked alongside Elsie for, for some time when they were at Whitsbury. And he, he whipped out a piece of paper and, and read off a list of all the races that David Ellsworth won in 1990. <laughs> How long did it take? It was a quite remarkable list of flat, major flat and jumps races in one calendar year, and just sort of showcasing his amazing versatility. He'd been given the great tributes uh, in, in, the, in the video, and he got up and said, never had so much bullshit in my life. <laughs> but when people come to look at horse racing in this era, and those that have achieved in, in an enormous amount, then uh, uh, particularly when it comes to dual-purpose trainers, people will talk about Vincent O'Brien, people will talk about Ryan Price, people will talk about Jimmy Fitzgerald. More recently, they'll talk about Jesse Harrington and Alan King, but they will most certainly talk about um, David Ellsworth, uh, whether it was Desert Orchid, Ryman Reason, Coombs Ditch, or in the groove um, Persian Punch. And his story is one of the most remarkable um not just racing but sporting stories of the uh, of the modernish era started i think as a stable lad and apprentice in the mid 1950s uh, a, a jockey associated with colonel ricky valance a, a trainer who was banned in the 1970s over the running and riding of a horse uh, in the west country uh, a period in the wilderness when he was working on market stalls i think he was a security officer at stonehenge at one point a license from 1978, uh, ups and downs, lots of success, clashes with authority as well. But aged 82 now, I think, uh, going going uh, really strong. And uh, there, there was always this big rivalry uh, because geographically they weren't always that far apart uh, between David Ellsworth and Martin Pipe, uh, the multiple national hunt uh, champion trainer. And a quote that uh, Elsie loves to uh, it was it was it was very. Uh, it was arch rivalry at the time between the two. And a quote that David Ellsworth used to use was, uh, I'd like to point out to you that I started training, that David Ellsworth started training after Martin Pipe and was champion trainer before Martin Pipe. Uh, so you could see where uh, that rivalry really came from. The one gap in his CV uh, is that he hasn't trained thus far, the winner of a, a British classic race, but he did have one Island Sands that was uh, sold to Godolphin and, and won the 2000 Guineas. It's a busy day yesterday, Cornelius. I was hosting a webinar in the afternoon put together by the Diversity and Racing Steering Group called Let's Talk About Race with the cricketing legend Michael Holding, Shireen Daniels, Tony Langham and trainer Susie Smith. It was in turn very interesting, sometimes pretty challenging, once or twice a little bit uncomfortable and very occasionally quite uplifting as well. 
Um, it's certainly well worth reviewing if you have 90 minutes at some point this weekend. The general message was that uh, uh, racing is doing okay uh, when it comes to uh, diversity, um, but um, it could inevitably do better. I, I was struck by the contribution of Michael Holding, uh, the, the cricketer and uh, a big racing uh, fan, a person of colour, who revealed how he was mistaken for a lift attendant on Derby Day, I think it was, or at, at Epsom anyway, uh, which um, I, I found really striking. Con contrasting the amount of people of colour who are regulars in betting shops, but not regulars on the race racetrack. We must be more welcoming, I think was the message uh, as far as he was concerned. Uh, Tony Langham, the, the chair of um, Great British Racing and the British Champion Series, acknowledging the, the lack of um, the black faces towards the top of, of British racing. And that is clearly something that the sport needs to have a big think about and to act upon in the future. So Cheltenham's Paddy Power Meeting all kicks off tomorrow. Big, big day for trainer Toby Laws, who saddles his first ever runners at uh, the home of Steeple Chasing and, and joins me now. Toby, for many years you were assistant to Nicky Henderson, leading in winner after winner after winner uh, at Cheltenham. Um, how does it feel to have runners there in your own name? Oh, it's, it's very exciting, you know. Um, uh, it's um, it's always been a track that sort of um, that, that I've loved, you know, and um, especially you know, we've had such great days there when I was at Seven Barrows. Um, no, it, it really means a lot. It's um, it's it's terribly exciting for the owners as well, you know. Um, um, for for Andrew Waits, um, who's um, who's had a lot of good horse in the past, you know, to have. Um, to have a, a runner with a chance at, um, at Cheltenham is very exciting. Andrew Waits owned the 1996 Grand National winner, Rough Quest, and other great horses like Repeat the Dose and Good Tonic. Uh, you've got a, a nice one for him here in, in a horse called Capo Toy, who's in, in great form and, and won the other day. What what chance do you think he's got tomorrow? I think I think he's got a, he's got a fair chance. You know, it's um, it, it's quite an open race. Um, uh, you know, it's very competitive, obviously, but it's uh, you know it, it's quite open. I think. Um, he goes there with a very progressive profile. Um, you know, I was uh, I was really pleased to see him sort of um, stay out the, the trip of, sort of two and a half um, last time out so strongly because uh, um, I think that sort of just gives us a lot of confidence, sort of um, you know, dropping back in trip but going sort of up in grade. Um, you need to be able to stay stay those two miles incredibly well. Um, you know, and it's going to be it, there's a lot of pace in the race. It's going to be um, well, hopefully, it's going to be a very very strong gallop sort of the whole way. Um, which I think would suit him very well. He's won his he's won his last four. Have you seen more in him that suggests he is more than just a you know a horse who can win in March and October? Oh, well, I, I hope so. You know, he's um, he took a lot long time to mature actually, but um, he, he wouldn't be a horse that would show you loads at home. Um, funny enough, you know, he he shows you most when he's schooling. Um, that's when he sort of really really lights up. Um, but um, you know, he's yeah, I mean, he's. He looks a real classy horse, you know. Um, certainly, sort of just just looking at him, sort of even just stood stood still. I mean, he's a full brother to Apple Tard, and um, um, you know, he he, he looks a, he looks a very classy animal. He's got the serious pedigree to do the job. He's got the Cheltenham pedigree to do the job as well. You also run a horse called Vocal Duke, who um, was bred by Jim Bolger, whose name we've already heard mentioned on this podcast today um, by his stallion Vocalized. But he's he's done very well since joining you from Tim Vaughan. Yeah, he has. I mean, again, he's a really, really nice progressive horse. Um, you know, he's a he's a real, real gent to have around. Um, um, he's he's just he's just taken sort of a nice step forward each run. Um, 
again, you know, we come here, it's, it's, it's up in grey from what he's been doing, um, but he's in very good form. Um, uh, Kevin Brogan gets on with him incredibly well. Um, and, you know, again, I think he, he goes there with sort of an open chance, you know, and, um, you know, if, if we find the, the grade is too much for him, then, then sort of it is what it is. And, um, you know, that, that's fine. But um, I think it, it's the right time and sort of opportunity to go for. And as far as your your concern, Toby, you've you've really sort of hit the gas pedal the last nine, ten, ten months or so. Are you are you pretty happy with the way things are progressing now? Oh, absolutely delighted! Absolutely delighted! You know, we're you know, we're very lucky. We sort of put together a really nice team of horses. We've got a great team of staff. Um, you know, we're we're not a big yard. We're um, you know, and we 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 sort of um, we're very happy with the numbers we're at, at the moment. You know, although obviously we do have you know some space for a few more. Um, you know, we just, um, yeah, we're just, we just, yeah, like I say, we've got a nice team of horses and um, it's uh, it's great to see them progressing well. Toby Law's there with understandably high hopes of a winner at Cheltenham tomorrow. Cornelius, what catches your eye news-wise over the next couple of days at Cheltenham? This uh, this race, the 220 at Cheltenham on, on day one of three at the November meeting, the SSS Super Allies Novices Chase two and a half miles, my Drogo. A hugely exciting young horse, four from four over hurdles, won the Mersey Novices hurdle at uh, Aintree, beaten only once in a bumper by a horse called Iron Maximus uh, that didn't help his cause by um, jumping out to the left when finishing third in a, in a decent novice hurdle at Exeter on Wednesday. Uh, my Drogo is exciting enough that um, he is uh, embarking on a steeplechasing career and I think uh, Dan Skelton, his trainer, was was on the pod earlier on the week, in, on in the week, talking about my Drogo and and other uh, quality horses that he'd be running at um, uh, Cheltenham. The the drama really is at, at this stage, as far as this race is concerned. There are only three runners, and the the other two opponents are both Irish. Uh, Gin on Lime, the five year old mare, um, winner of four steeplechases from seven steeplechasing starts already, and uh, Fancy Foundations, winner of uh, two out of three steeplechases already and was pressing gin online when when falling relatively late on in a race at Tipperary. So um, the, the, the fact is that small uh, number fields are, are very much in the spotlight. Um, Sandown on Sunday, um, a high quality steeplechase, just two runners and now uh, an important steeplechase uh, with with only three runners. You know, what is what is going on? Uh, there, there are a number of sort of thoughts on this. Look, it's not a great spectacle only having three runners, not attractive uh, as a, a betting proposition. But then alternatively, it's not all about betting. Um, and um, actually, wh- why aren't there more horses? Because it's good experience for a horse to, to race at the highest level against very good horses. And indeed, that's one of the, one of the, the uh, factors put forward in the fact that Irish racing is going stro- so strongly is the horses have to raise their game to compete against yeah. the better horses uh, there, um, but it will be there are fewer opportunities in ireland and there are more horses of that of that caliber and it's of a, course a, of course so a, there are there are lots of arguments however it would be um it would be ridiculous of those that frame the races that uh, decide on the program not to be looking and listening to people talking about two high profile races within a few days one at sandown and one at cheltenham with small fields i'm not saying there's a solution to getting more horses to come 
but but the fact is they need to be looked at to check there isn't something um, something which might uh, make these uh, these races more attractive to others as well because small runner fields aren't that attractive. There's been uh, some chat about whether this should be a terrestrial television race. Well, you know, my Drogo could easily turn out to be one of the most exciting horses around. It isn't all about betting. It's quite right that it should be on uh, terrestrial TV, but it is disappointment, uh, disappointing just to have three runners and two of those uh, are from Ireland. So I suppose that is a different illustration of just how strong racing in Ireland, uh, jump racing in Ireland is at the moment. Important day uh, in the uh, area of welfare today because it's the World Horse Welfare uh, Annual Conference, which is sort of taking place in person again after having to go all online last year during the pandemic. Rolly Owers is the chief executive, is, is with me now. Rolly, this is a, a really important day for everyone to get together and to address some I- crucial subjects, not just to, to this sport, but to all horse sports and, and all horse welfare. Absolutely. Good morning, Nick. Thank you. Uh, yes, it's a really important day. It's two years' expectations in one. Last year, I was a bit virtual affair. This year, we've gone truly international and hybrid. So we've got uh, presenters who are joining us virtually and in person at the Royal Geographical Society. Got about 150 people attending in person, over 700 online. And, uh, and we're going to focus on whose opinion matters. And we thought, you know, given especially the issues around the Gordon Elliott saga, the modern pentathlon issue at the Olympics, the BBC Panorama Programme, people's opinions do matter and we're going to unpick that today and we've got a brilliant selection of speakers we've got Monique Elwa, Dr Monique Elwa is Director General of the World Organisation for Animal Health, we've got Pammy Hutton um, who is International Dressage Trainer and Rider, we've got um, Ed Chamberlain, lead obviously from ITV Racing um, and a number of others who just unpick you know, whose opinion does really matter and what do we need to do to help ensure that the future of horse sport and indeed horse riding is, is very healthy for many years to come. And where will people be able to see this? Will this be posted online? So, yes, if people go to our uh, conference page, which is World Horse Welfare forward slash conference, you'll be able to watch it uh, live. And also, if you can't, can't, if they can't watch it today live, it'll all be available there for playback straight afterwards. At, at what point in the year this did you think, right, this is the way we need to take this? This is the way we need to take this conversation? Was there a tipping point? It's a really interesting question, Nick. Um, and to be honest, we start thinking about it tomorrow for next year's conference. And then we said, but by about February time, we come you know, to a view. And actually, even before a number of the headlines like the Gordon Elliott situation appeared, we had defined, we decided to use a theme of whose opinion matters. And we felt that that just reaffirmed it was a really good decision to make. Um, so hopefully, you know, tomorrow, the, the grey cells will start working again. So the 2022 conference has an equally good theme. How important is it that horse racing, which is sometimes some, somewhat insular from, from other horse sports, learn from other horse sports and vice versa? Oh, I think it's essential. I mean, I think it's pivotal. And without that, I mean, the future of horse sport and horse racing will be in great peril. Because I think, you know, as far as the general public concerned, you know, whether people ride horses for leisure, for sport or to race, you know, it all fits under the same banner for them. So I think it is essential that we do learn. And there's lots of good stuff that's being done. So it's important that we share the good stuff, but also understand, you know, where the challenges lie to. Rolio is Chief Executive of World Horse Welfare. Thanks to him and to my other guests today. Cornelius is still with me and has a tip for you. I thought I'd take you to the southwest of England and to Taunton and the 232 race and the quite intriguingly named Jonathan Quinn Lockdown Quizzes Thank You Maiden Hurdle Race. 
And um, uh, there are a number of uh, interesting contenders uh, in, uh, in this race, one of which is number three, Data Protection, uh, which has won plenty of races on the flat, trained by William Muir and Chris Grassick. Uh, won a lot of races at Newmarket, I seem to think, and, uh, and Epsom and, and elsewhere too. This horse is now going hurdling, has quite a high uh, rating, an official rating uh, on the uh, flat at the moment in the high 80s. Uh, and so long as he adapts okay to uh, jumping hurdles, rare runner over hurdles for Mr Muir and Mr Grassick. Brendan Powell, the very much informed Brendan Powell, Great day at uh, Exeter yesterday and going really strongly this season, the jockey on board. So number three, data protection uh, for the Jonathan Quinn lockdown quizzes. Thank you, Maiden Hurdle Race. Well done, Jonathan. It's the 2.32 at Taunton. Cornelius, thank you so much. Thank you very much for listening. That was Thursday, November the 11th. I'll be with you live from Cheltenham tomorrow. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily. Brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Mm-hmm.